Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about hydration tips for runners with Josh Sprague, the founder of Orange Mud. So the big question is this, how are runners like us, who don't like hearing doctors say, just stop running, who know that we simply have to stay active, how do we heal in a way that lets us stay strong, maintain our running fitness, and keep preparing for the next race, and still heal without making the injury worse? Well, that is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Dr. Christopher Segler, and welcome to the Doc on the Run podcast. All right, today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about staying hydrated during your long runs with Josh Sprague, and he's an endurance athlete, and he's the founder of Orange Mud. So Josh is an interesting guy, and it's got a lot of very specialized knowledge that you know, really can be of benefit to runners. You know, Josh has done over 100 mountain bike races, Ironman triathlons, adventure races, and in the last five years or so, he's also done marathons, 50K trail races, 50 milers, and even 100-mile ultramarathons. I know Josh, and I know he's going to try to downplay this, but don't let him fool you. Josh mm. is the real deal. Now, I wanted to have Josh on the show today for a couple of reasons. The first one is that he is the founder and CEO and designer of the best hydration pack I've ever used. In fact, I will go as far as to say that the Orange Mud Endurance Pack has really made me a convert to the running pack crowd. And, and truthfully, for years, like during Ironmans, during marathons, all that, you know, they're giving out water and they're giving out, you know, gels and everything else on the course. I was always a little confused and sort of perplexed why I would see athletes running in these organized events wearing a hydration pack. But now I can say that Josh really did design a hydration pack that's so comfortable I forget it's there. Now, it's true. It's totally true. I wore it on a 25-mile trail run yesterday, and I also wore it recently during the Houston Marathon. So, you know, I really, and now I'm one of those people that's wearing it, and there's probably people wondering. I should put a sign on the back where it says, ask me why I'm wearing this pack during this race, you know, because I always wondered when I saw those people. But I figure, you know, Josh, he really, Josh knows a lot about hydration, and he really does understand the keys to staying hydrated during long endurance events, which is why he's designed all these packs. Um, and that's really the first reason I wanted to have him here to talk with us. And today, is, you know, Josh is going to help you understand a couple of things that are important. One, he's going to help you understand about how hydration can increase your endurance performance and maybe also even understand a little bit more about how optimal hydration could help you decrease your risk of an overtraining injury. And the second reason I wanted to have Josh here is to talk about garbage. I mean, we recently had this conversation, somehow ended up talking about the amount of trash that gets generated from a single endurance event. And hydration packs actually can make a serious contribution to the reduction of waste that we endurance athletes create and inflict on our planet simply from our participation in these long races. So Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good conversation. So, you know, before we get started talking about hydration, maybe you could just give us a little bit of background about yourself, your athletic history, and your interest in events like marathons and ultramarathons. Yeah, sure. No, I, uh, I've kind of done a little bit of everything, like you were saying in the intro. I've done, yeah, Ironman, ultra running, trail running, uh, marathons, mountain bike racing, road bike racing, uh, a little bit of everything. My my real passion in life is is – dirt. So it's whether it's gravel bike, mountain bike endurance or running. Um, and I'm not very fast. So I, I like long stuff because I can through attrition usually yeah. perform better. Yeah. Uh, so for me, it's everything endurance is, is my sweet spot. It's what I love to do. And, and just uh, a lot of it just is simply based upon, I like to explore and have yeah. a big adventure. Nice. 
All right. Well, I mean, I think that's true of most trail runners, right? It's like, uh, you know, dirt therapy, right? You know, you want to get out, you want to, you know, be outside and, and it's really, it is an adventure. I mean, all endurance races are really an adventure, right? So never ends. Uh, all right. So if you think back to some of your earliest races and events, can you recall like any particular race when you actually feel like you were dehydrated or in some way didn't really optimize your hydration? And if so, what was the effect? Yeah. Yeah. Plenty. Um, yeah, probably the Phoenix Rock and Roll Marathon was the first marathon I ever did in 2001, I think it was. And um, uh, I had the typical, you know, mile 18, cramping, life is terrible, um, you know, just everything effect. And I think that's what a lot of people go through when you get into these endurance sports. Um, a lot of people, even through a training program, you, you perform really well and you think, oh, okay, I got this figured out. Well, most of us only run up to that 18 or 20 miles. seems like by the time you get to that part of the training program, if you're like me, you may be like, you know what? I got 16. It's close enough. Or it seems like it's always the most inopportune times when you're supposed to do your big mileage. So you think, you know what? I can run two and a half, three hours. I'm totally fine to run the full marathon. And if you're an average marathoner, you're in that four or five, maybe six hour window. Um, and next thing you know, your body may be able to process two and a half hours of good exertion, but you cross in that you know, generally right about then two and a half, three hours. That's when all of a sudden your body starts saying, Hey, I need electrolytes. I need proper fluid. I need proper fuels. And without those three things, I'm basically going to revolt against you. And, uh, and it was probably back then when it started making me try to research more. And I mean, granted 2001, it wasn't as easy just to Google something. It's, right. it was, I don't even know if Google was, Google was barely around then. So uh, I think over the years, it's become so much easier for people to find information if you just know the basics of what to look for. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. And I, um, I mean, it's true. So there's this big window of people, right? Four or five, six hours on a marathon. And mm-hmm. when I did my first marathon, it was the Mercedes Marathon in Birmingham, Alabama. And at the end of it, they had an award ceremony and they basically had on the stage the guy that won it, who was a Kenyan, you know, who like barely spoke English. Um, Mm. And they had this woman who was the last place finisher. And they had the two of them on stage together. It was really cool. And, you know, and the the guy said, you know, he said to the, he held the microphone over to the woman. He said, do you have any questions for, you know, the guy that won it? And she said, I don't really have a question, just a comment. She said, I cannot believe you can run that fast. And then he held the microphone over to the guy that won. And she, he said, do you have any questions? He said, no, just a comment. I cannot believe you can run that long. <laughs> true. <laughs> it is true. But the thing yeah. is, if you're out there for five or six hours, the chances that you are actually going to get dehydrated, I think, are higher. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, they are. Right. Because yeah. it's more time, right? It's more yeah. time exerting yourself. And the truth is, is that we are not as efficient at exerting ourselves as the Kenyans are. You know, those people that can run a marathon in two hours and five minutes or so, well, they are much more efficient animals than we are when it comes to those events, right? So we're there longer and we're not as efficient and we lose more fluid. So, so, I mean, really hydration is, you know, one of these things I think of as a limiter for runners. And it's sort of like this often missed low hanging fruit that has the potential to boost performance. You know, and I think about all this with running injuries, right? Like we're all training hard. We all eat relatively well and all that. But the real gains come from finding these things that are limiters like, you know, maybe a little bit of improvement in your nutrition, a little bit of improvement in your sleep or your hydration. And but we always like us as runners, we always want to focus on working harder, suffering more, trying to come up with some new technique or training plan that's going to get us faster and stronger. And we think it's all about work. But 
in many cases, when we are already training at a relatively high level, there are very few gains to be made by working harder. So if some of the biggest gains actually come from these small changes in other areas like improving nutrition or improving the quality of our sleep or by maintaining this sort of better optimal state of hydration, um, it has to play into our athletic performance. So how do you really think it plays into athletic performance in long events like ultras and marathons? I think it's, I mean, I think it's everything. I, I've always told people there's, there's one of the biggest reasons that, that, I've always had pretty good success in endurance racing is simply because I hydrate better. And I mean, I have a good, a good nutrition plan and I hydrate. Um, it's, it's amazing how many it's, it's always the strongest looking athletes, right? Always that are the first, the majority of people that you see fail in race in endurance races. And it's true. you know, back in adventure racing, it was always, it was always neat. Cause you'd see these like real ripped buff dudes come out there and, and you look at them, you're like, Oh, I can't wait to see them cramp up. It's going to be awesome because you know, they, they look like they're a million times better of an athlete than you are. And you know what? Physically they are, but, right. uh, or at least than me, but, uh, uh, but it was without fail, you know, mm -hmm. young athletes, always easy to be most, mostly easy to beat um, because in endurance because they don't know enough yet. I mean, it does right. take a long time to figure half this out. And usually right. once you get 95% figured out, there's a change and all of a sudden you realize you're back to 60%. But mm -hmm. it's a, it's a never ending learning process for endurance, but you know, it, it comes down to uh, generally some of the most physically fit. They, they maybe lift weights a lot, but they don't know how to, to, you know, hydrate properly for, for, uh, you know, long stuff. So, you know, once you cross into that big bandwidth, you really need to focus on how many calories per hour can I take in and what's my electrolyte loss? You know, how much, how much do I need to replace it with? Um, and then just simply, how am I going to fuel properly? And if you're going to run a marathon and you're, well, a lot of people don't even train with anything when you train for a marathon as, as they should, or maybe they try to a public water fountain or they stash water bottles or whatever. But then on race day, you get all amped up and you don't slow down. You don't stop and just mm -hmm. drink from that cup for the minute or whatever it, it uh, you know, say Boston or wherever it may be. Um, and instead you grab that little cup of water. That's, I don't know, two ounces. I don't know how right. much is in the yeah, little right. cup. Uh, and then you like, you're running and you're like trying to run and drink and you're spilling most of it on your face. And then next thing you know, you're like, ah, this is just worthless. I'm fine. I'm strong. And you throw it in trash. Well then, you know, you hit again that two, two and a half, three hour mark. And all of a sudden your body says, I'm not happy with you anymore. And right. I'm going to make your life absolutely miserable. Uh, and then you blame it on something else. It's like, mm -hmm. Ooh, I should have trained more because all of us generally should have trained more. All of right. us are, all of us have that problem. No one ever toes the line of a race and says, I did everything perfectly and I am totally ready. I, I've right. never, I've never met anybody that's ever said that. Um, but that's usually what it gets blamed to where again, a lot of times it's just simply came down to, did you have a way of drinking? Right. <laughs> it's, it's not complicated. And then again, you know, I always tell people, especially in the triathlon space, I always find that one the most ironic because it's the most type A group of people really on the planet. And me being one of them, so I'm kind of making fun of my own self, but, uh, you know, you plan out every day on this perfect nutrition strategy. You run whatever your hydration is, you know, hydration mix XYZ, you know, you run it 250 calories an hour every single hour for the entire training season. And then on Ironman race day, you're like, cool, let's drink Gatorade or yeah, right. whatever it is on course. And, mm -hmm. you know, and, and then you, all of a sudden you cramp up late in the race. You're like, I don't know why I've trained for a year. I'm a perfect, I'm in perfect shape. I have the perfect plan. But the thing you missed is you didn't drink the same stuff you train with. And right. so many people just find that like, wow, that's amazing. 
And I look at it like, what the heck do you think you're doing? Right. I, I just, it really, it, it, it blows my mind when you have so many type A people, especially in that sport, that miss that gap. And it's such right. a basic foundation. Um, so yeah, I, to me, you know, I have a lot of people say, well, why would I have a, wear a pack in a marathon or, you know, an Ironman in the marathon? Um, and to me, it's like, well, because you can run your own nutrition strategy. Exactly. So I started our company. That's, right. that's it. I just wanted to run my own nutrition strategy. I wanted to be able to take electrolytes every hour and I wanted to have a way to carry cash uh, for the beer garden afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. And that's all you need. You just need a basic thing. Yeah. But, but again, a lot of people don't practice with their hydration and it's, it's a mess. That's exactly right. I mean, I, so for when I was doing Ironman races, I had this long period of time where I would go out and I would do my long runs and my long rides in the middle of the day when it was blazing hot because mm-hmm. almost all the Ironman races I were doing were always blazing hot. Yeah. And, and I, would, I would actually chart like how many salt caps, how many gels, how much Gatorade, how much Gatorade mixed with 50% water, how much of this stuff can I take in before I feel like I want to puke after three hours, you know? Yeah. And I actually practiced until I would ride until I figured out it was too much. And then I practiced over and over to determine that, yeah, I really can drink this much fluid every 10 miles because it was about 10 miles on the bike between aid stations. So -hmm. I would try to figure out like how much do I really need to carry? How much do I have to have? And then I would basically drink whatever was on the course. So for years, I would drink the, um, the orange Gatorade with half water on the bike and the lemon lime endurance formula Gatorade on the run because that's what they had on all Ironman races at that time. And when they, yeah. when they switched to that other stuff for a couple of years, that was like kerosene in my stomach and I just wouldn't drink it. So then I started putting, you know, Gatorade and water in my special needs bags and stuff and carry my own fluid because I couldn't drink that stuff. It made me throw up. And yeah. it is fascinating because it's like, just like you say, the same people that would never in a million years wear a different hat on race day than they normally wear will take something that's free on the course that they've never eaten or they never drank before and see what happens. And it's yeah. totally insane. You know, it's not a good thing. And no, I can tell you, not. like I, I did a half Ironman once where I tried a d- different hydration mix, which I won't name. Um, but I literally dry heaved the entire 13.1 miles. I had my fingers so far down my throat, uh, which I'd never tried to puke like that ever. Um, except in that one race, I literally was like tickling inside of my esophagus. It was, it was so strange, but yeah. I couldn't puke. I wanted to puke so bad. It was, it was, it, it, it was one of the worst 13.1 miles ever. And at that yeah. time, shoot, I was racing 24 hour multi-day races all the time, 30 races yeah. a year. And, and so for me, like a half Ironman was, it was barely a training day. And I mean, it was, it was just a fun day mm-hmm. in theory. And it ended up being one of the hardest dang races I've ever had in my life, simply because I got my hydration wrong. Because I, I bought some new hydration mix, mix at the expo I'd never heard of. And I thought, you know mm-hmm. what, I'll try this out today. It was, very, <laughs> it was a very poor decision. Yeah, it's incredible that that happens, right? But it's, I yeah. guess it's that thing of always trying to look for some additional edge and then just making a crucial error on race day. And yeah. you shouldn't do that. You know, when I was a long time ago, I used to do lots of uh, mountaineering. And in, I don't remember who it was, but in one of the books I read, the guy said, basically, he said, the only two things you need to be a successful mountaineer is you need to be able to drink when you're not thirsty and eat when you're not hungry. Yeah. And, and it's the same thing for all these endurance races, right? And mm-hmm. it is just trying to stay fueled and hydrated because as soon as you are unfueled or unhydrated, you can never catch back up. It's impossible. Yep. So, but, you know, my opinion is that during like a marathon, it's not really that difficult to stay hydrated because, you know, the volunteers are there with those little two ounce cups of water, like every mile or something. So taking in fluids during a race like that 
is really just about discipline. It's not a logistical challenge. Just remembering to stop and walk and drink the water at every aid station. It's just discipline. It's just a little challenge of trying to remember to do it and forcing yourself to do it. But you do have to have the discipline to drink when you're not thirsty. You can't just wait until 15 miles in and then start drinking and think you're going to catch up. It doesn't work that way. But yeah. like I said, you know, we're talking about you have to be practiced in that discipline. You have to do long runs where you're continuing to take in fluid at the same kind of intervals that you expect to match during your race. And you basically have to train yourself to drink frequently if you're going to stay as hydrated as possible. Now, so I kind of have this suspicion that runners also not, you know, they think about that, but I think many runners really do start races in a state of suboptimal hydration. And I think part of that comes from some of the difficulty of staying hydrated during the long runs in those big blocks of training, you know, those massive mile periods that lead up to the marathon or ultra marathon, you know, because we always think, well, whatever, it's just a training run. And we're not really as religious about drinking water and stuff on those training runs. And of course, there are no volunteers handing out little two ounce cups of water every mile on your training runs. Like if you go run in the Marin headlands and run 20 miles on a Saturday, well, you're going to see about a dozen people and they're not going to be handing you water. So, you know, so yeah. what do you think about the idea of training yourself to hydrate in a way on your training runs that really matches what you're going to do on race day? Do you really think that that matters? Do you think people get dehydrated yeah. on those training runs? Yeah, I mean, I, I do it all the time. And, and I think one of the benefits we have anymore is that everybody wants to take their phone with them during yeah. exercise. There's right. always, of course, the people are like, oh, I don't run with my phone. Good for you. That's awesome. I, I respect you. I wish I, I wish I did that. But, um, but the reality is most of us are going to take our phone. Right. Most of us have ginormous plus size phones that weigh like 45 pounds. So, yeah, true. you know, when you go for a run, you, the, the old mechanisms of carrying a tiny little phone just don't really work anymore. So mm -hmm. a lot of people will take packs anymore, if nothing else to carry their phone. Right. So you might as well throw a bladder or a bottle or a flask or whatever your pack uses, um, you know, together to be, to, to be able to take it. So, you know, yeah, I guess like my better frame of reference is that, you know, if you rewind, you know, 10, 15 years ago when I was adventure racing all the time, I didn't train with hydration pack running hardly ever. Uh, yeah. But it's because I hated my hydration pack for running. Right. Back then. And hence why I started a company. But it, it's something that that I didn't train with it very often at all. And then on race day, all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, I freaking hate this thing. And and I raced all the time and I still hated them. And I tried sewing and adjusting them even back then and 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 it was brutal so mm. i i get why historically a lot of people even cycling i hear people say oh packs suck for cycling i'm like you're right a lot of them do but yeah. things have changed you know yeah. whether it's orange butter there's other brands too that make good packs go out find a pack that fits your body and you know put it to work try it you'll probably find that you will you'll not notice it's there and you'll enjoy riding better and you can practice your nutrition strategy that you can all of a sudden roll to race day. So, you know, one thing that I do a lot is that I always take a pack with me and I don't always put a hydration mix in it. You know, if mm -hmm. I'm only going out for an hour and a half or less, then I probably won't mess with a hydration mix. But if I right. do more than an hour and a half, um, then I will always have a hydration mix because it's a, it's better to keep your body at homeostasis kind of the way I see it. Um, rather than just going to deficit all the time. And, and then, yeah, like you said, all of a sudden race day, you're trying really exploring a hydration mix. It, yeah. it really is that way. If you don't practice with something a lot, you're exploring. But, um, but what I do a lot is that, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing my big rides or big runs, um, I'm like you, I try to train midday, which helps a lot with simulation of altitude training, but it also mm -hmm. helps with simulation of real race day heat, which it seems like every race I ever do is either really hot or it's raining. Um, 
but but I, I not only go out and and train midday, but one thing I also try to do is I put hot water into my bladder uh, oh, with hydration mix. I don't mm-hmm. always do it, but especially you know as I get closer to race day, I want to simulate what the good chance of what you're going to get on race day. Yeah, right. Lukewarm or hot water, uh, especially if you're doing a triathlon and you have your bottles all set up and ready for you. You come off the bike. There's an extreme high probability them bottles have been getting roasted. In, oh, yeah. the, in the sun and it is not going to be ice cold. Uh, now granted you can refill, but then you have to carry nutrition to refill. So, so I, I kind of do a few different things in, in by having a hot water mix, you get to test if you can really process that water when it mm-hmm. gets warm, um, with whatever it is you have in it. And, and there's a lot of drinks that I've had that I have no problem with. And there's a majority that I've had that I do not enjoy at all. And I, I can't even stomach when they're really hot. So, uh, it's kind of a couple of things that, that I believe in, in, uh, you know, in, in, in every exercise, always taking your pack, playing with different water temps with your hydration mix. And then, and then I'm a, every 15 minutes I drink always, regardless of again, whether it's 45 minutes or 45 hours, you know, whatever it is, I, I believe in every 15 minutes I drink and, and I'm systematic about it. And it's where I always get that 20, 24 ounces an hour, depending on temperature. And, um, um, and it's, it's very, very rare. I ever have an issue, uh, with cramping or nutrition bonking. The only time I do is when I get conk overconfident and think, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm just so strong right now. I'm going to be amazing and I can do this. And then next thing you know, you're cramping and you're like, okay, well, I'm back to human again. So, uh, all of us, it's pretty hard to trick basic human physiology. It's, it's just, yeah, it's just hard to do. We take fuel, just like your car, you right. give it more gas, it's going to use more gas and yep. you need to replace it. So, uh, we all think we're, you know, this superhuman on race day, but we generally all get a rude awakening when we realize that maybe we are superhuman, but, um, we, we still need to fuel properly mm-hmm. to be a superhuman. Well, you know, and particularly for ultras, right? So I know I have so many friends that we all did Ironman triathlons together for years and lots of us have transitioned to ultras. And, you know, it's fascinating to me that like so many people who go from Ironman to like 50Ks, I have all these friends who have done it and they'll go do a 50K, no problem, right? Yeah. Because I mean, it's, you know, you're not doing the bike, you're running a little bit longer. So it's, you know, kind of a, a lot more running work, but you're not mm-hmm. swimming and you're not riding a bike. And yep. It transitioned that no problem. And these same people who have successfully done Ironman races for so long, then go do a 50K, they nail it. They're like, oh, this is easy, man, nothing to it. They do a 50 miler. It's unbelievable how many of them do not finish. Like yeah. they just cannot get a 50 miler. And even when they sort that out, you know, and it's always a nutrition or hydration issue. It is never that they're not strong enough to physically do it. It is nutrition, hydration, it blows up and they cannot finish. And even those that do make it through the 50 mile marker, you know, they start go, trying to do a hundred K or hundred miler, same thing. It's always hydration and nutrition. And I suspect yep. that so many of them, it's because they don't really practice it in those long, long runs, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's a hard thing to simulate. I mean, a lot of yeah. us, you know, I, I, I firmly believe a 50 K is easier than a marathon. And I think oh, yeah. anybody that's, I, I, I don't think I've ever met anybody that's argued that with me. That's done both. You know, you're running on trails, the whole everything is different. When you're running on in a marathon, there's always somebody passing you. Right. Always. Right. You know, there's always a million people around you and, and with, I don't know, maybe a very rare exception, but um, unless you're dead last or in the very front or maybe in a race in on the North Pole, 
But yeah. um, so you always feel like you have to run in a 50K. It's pretty cool because you're on dirt, which is softer on your body. Um, and then, you know, there's big gaps where you could be all by yourself. If there's a hill, you're probably going to walk it. You know, it's a run walk strategy. So it makes it all the more easy. Um, then you and you can pretty much go all out in a 50K and you may blow up. And then again, you're only probably walking for it's really not that different than a marathon. It's only right. five miles. So, you know, you can you can walk it out. Um, 50 mile, you really do have to pace yourself. A mm. lot of people never have understood. It's amazing how many people don't pace themselves right. Yeah. And, and myself included, we all, again, we all think we're superhuman on race day. We, we feel good and we're 20 miles in, 30, 40, whatever it is. We're like, oh, I'm doing awesome. This is great. I'm going to hammer it. And then you're hammering all of a sudden and the lights go out. You're like, oh, that was a really poor decision. Um, but, <laughs> but aside from, from that, then there's the other side of you know, body mechanics. You yeah. know, I mean, nutrition alone, if you're not if you're not spot on when you're crossing into that 10, 12, 13, 14 hour time frame, which is kind of typical for a 50 a mile, um, you know, your nutrition has to be spot on. But I think you body mechanics is another one that starts to open people's you know, mind where mm-hmm. I, you know, myself included, I'm good for 50. I mean, you cross in a hundred mile distance and I start to realize like, maybe I'm not the best runner. (laughs) I'm not, I know I'm not the best runner, but, but as far as like body mechanics, I don't believe my body mechanics are, are, are that my running form needs to be improved when I cross in a hundred mile distance, because some people are designed for efficiency and you see them. They're just like, just boom, boom, boom. They hammer it out. And then the rest of us are like, you know, it's a, what's that saying? Like a, like a herd of elephant trampling through peanut butter. That's more what I feel like. Yeah. And, and, you know, and there, I think there's a lot more of us in that category that, that have a hard time even being able to get body mechanics, let alone nutrition. Right. right. And, and again, how often do you have time to go out and do a 12 hour training? run? Mm-hmm. It's kind of a yeah. hard thing. So it it's, it's something you really that. do. You got to kind of build. I personally believe like for hundreds, um, if you've never done a 50 mile or, you know, I, I think that a 50 miler, I think anybody can jump into pretty fairly easily. But, you know, I think that you really shouldn't run a hundred until you probably ran a 50 mile because a lot of it's you're getting your head right. Um, mm-hmm. Let alone, I think there's so many little micro muscles you need to build up to support yeah, right. to be ready for that. Um, and I'm also the first to say that I've done it when I haven't been trained properly, but um that, you know, there's a reason why I, I hurt myself too. <laughs> yeah. So that's yeah, true. I mean, that's just it, right? Is it's the things that you don't use all the time that are not as fit that you can kind of get away with on these shorter runs. You don't notice them until it's long distances. And, yeah. you know, doing a 25 mile trail run, I have all kinds of weird soreness and serious like stiffness and aches and stuff like in my back, my hip flexors, like all of these core things. Yeah. that don't bother me during a marathon because a marathon is so straightforward. You're moving, you know, at the same pace, basically on the same surface for a very fixed distance, you know, and you're using, you know, strong muscle groups to do that. You don't need a lot of stability, but when you're running uphills and you're running downhills and you're changing direction on trails and you're running on really uneven surfaces with a lot of slope to them, yeah. you use all kinds of muscles you don't normally use. And yeah, a 10 mile training run. So what? You just feel like you ran your work hard, but when you get to like 20 or 25 mile training runs, you know, your risk of an injury goes way up because those things that stabilize you are fatigued. And when you're fatigued, you become uh, unbalanced and you load things asymmetrically and you get an injury, you know? So, um, I mean, that's part of it, but I, I mean, I really and truly believe that many of the runners I personally see that I help that call me for a consultation or whatever, they develop overtrain injuries as a consequence of decreased pliability of the tissues when they are dehydrated on these long runs or races and 
they're continuing to train anyway. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I think, I think it goes back to a lot of people don't carry hydration when they train and then, right. you know, then they go into race day and, and then, you know, there's the flip side of it. I think some people maybe almost overhydrate because, you know, it's, it's funny. I've had different coaches over the years. And, and when I look at, you know, like different strategies for fueling and, you know, I think a lot of us have that like high school, um, you know, let's eat four days in a row of spaghetti and all the carbs we can and drink as much as we can. So we toe the line topped off in carbohydrates, topped off in water and fluids. And, you know, I've had, you know, Ironman pro- protocol where I woke up at two 30 in the morning to eat breakfast. And then I went back to bed in theory for an hour. And, and then I, you know, drank a bunch of water and I have a goo right before the start. And I drink a water bottle and like you do all these things trying to top off over the years. I just found it doesn't matter for me. Everybody's right. unique, but for me, I eat every day like normal. I don't do anything special. Maybe I'm not going to throw on habanero salsa on my burrito <laughs> the night before a race or something. But, but if I want sushi, I want Mexican food, I want whatever, I don't know, whatever it is, I just eat it. You know, I, I eat a normal meal. And, and, and I, I think that, um, you know, eating and fueling just like you would every single day. Mm-hmm. You know, if you carry that same type of strategy into your uh, running program and you don't go try screwing with it two or three days or a week beforehand, yeah. I firmly believe you'll probably have better results. You know, yeah. th- there's a reason why everybody has great training days and then on race day, they don't understand what happened. Right. I mean, it's, if that's probably the most simplistic way of looking at it. And, you know, I think too many of us try to, to yeah, like you said, either overtrain and, and then... Um, you know, it, it's like you come up to race day, everybody tries to change everything that last week or the last mm-hmm. three weeks, you train right. way too hard. So many people, especially if you don't have a coach, that's one of the, I think one of the best things that you can do with the coach. Um, if nothing else, even if you know a ton, you know, like so many people, once you've done a lot of this stuff, you probably in theory don't need a coach to be prepared for the race. Um, from, um, a whole cycle perspective, mm-hmm. but what they really do help with is say, shut things down three weeks beforehand. You start to shut things down, you know, and live your normal life and you'll tow the race day rested, fueled properly, and you'll be fine on race day. It's just another training day. But but again, most people get everything screwed up three weeks before race day. And it it usually, it's myself included. I've done it plenty of times, but I know last year is probably one of the benefit, most biggest benefits I had from having a coach is that he, and I was like, really, am I only going to bike an hour today? It seems kind of weird, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, week before, but I tell you what, I had a great year yeah. last year and, and I worked out less than I probably did the year before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think there's a lot that can be said in just minding your P's and Q's that last three weeks before, before the yeah. race. No, for sure. I mean, you know, years ago I was doing a sort of like a retreat thing, a training retreat with Mark Allen and, mm-hmm. And every year I would like sign up for the Houston marathon. And then I would do like a couple of months later, I would do um, my first Ironman race that year. And I was doing a couple of them a year. One year I did four of them, you know, and, and Mark Allen, like we were talking about that. And he just said, he goes, you know, if you really want to qualify for Kona, you're probably going to have to quit doing the Houston marathon. And I was like, what? But that gives me a way to like train for, you know, my running fitness through the winter. You know, it's easy to fit in the run training and I'm ready to go. And he said, if you're really running a marathon, that's a lot of tissue damage. And you are probably never recovered the entire year after doing that and jumping right back into Ironman training. And that is the value of a coach, right? Like that guy, 
not only did he, you know, win the world championships a number of times, he also now has not just his many, many years of winning races, but he has the cumulative experience of working with hundreds of triathletes over decades. And so, you know, when that guy says, that's probably a really bad idea, it is probably a really bad idea, no matter what I think, you know? And that's why you hire a coach is not to like, you know, chase you with a bullwhip and tell you to run faster, but to tell you when you need to put on the brakes. Exactly. It's true. Okay. So now let's talk about trash, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the things is on the, um, the orange mud endurance pack I have is it has lots of pockets. They're extremely useful, but I always keep a Ziploc, like a small Ziploc bag in there and every single trail run I carry it. Well, I don't drop my garbage first of all. Um, Mm. but not everybody is, that careful with their trash. So I always try like to pick up at least one piece of garbage. And I got this from a friend of mine. His name was Bob. We used to do big wall climbing together and Bob would always make it a point to always bring at least one piece of garbage off a climb. And Mm -hmm. uh, because it's crazy, man, people go up these rock climbs, you know, it's a beautiful place in the middle of nowhere and you find empty two liter bottles that, you know, they'd carry a full bottle of water up and leave the plastic bottle on the ledge. It's bizarre, but Anyway, I kind of got that habit from Bob and it's usually, you know, some discarded gel packet or bar wrapper, but, but whatever, not everybody picks it up. And, you know, when it comes to organized events, it should change, right? Like um, everybody should be dropping their garbage where people pick it up. But I've seen literally hundreds of people in Ironman events throw garbage on the side of the highway, you know, somewhere like halfway between aid stations in the middle of the countryside, you know, where there's no one who's going to pick up that garbage, even though it's completely acceptable and permissible to drop your garbage right in front of the volunteers who are there to pick up your garbage at the aid stations. And yep. so it always kind of infuriates me when I see people just throwing their garbage onto the side of the road during a race. And mm-hmm. so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this, on organized racing as a whole and the amount of garbage that these events do create so i mean aside from the gel packets that we bring with us and rip the little tops off that are never going to biodegrade right um i mean we make a lot of garbage but then the events themselves also those little two ounce cups of water um, make a lot of garbage so what can you know what do you think about that yeah i can't i think it's crazy man and i always tell people that you know i'm not some like super earth toting guy but in a way, I am. I mean, I can't stand. I I can't. Even, I mean, I I try to not even ever buy bottled water unless I really have right. to because it's it is crazy when you look at the amount of waste that we we have. And marathons are the worst. They're seriously, it's the worst possible event. If you want to just generate the most ridiculous amount of trash, it's it's. I I don't I don't know the number, but just Google how many cups does the Boston Marathon use, and right. it'll blow your mind. I, I I don't remember the number, but I remember reading it one day, and I'm like. How is that? Is it, that how is that even possible? What are there forty thousand runners? How can you have whatever it was five hundred thousand cups or whatever it was that they did? And 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 you know I get you know race organizers they're in this constant struggle because they need to provide and if they don't provide then the runners complain and social media and anything everything anymore makes it a little bit crazy for them. So I get it, but sooner or later somebody has to draw the line and say you yeah. know what you got to bring your own friggin' hydration pack. And right. you know, some races they go cupless, which I, I, I appreciate, but then now they all want to give everybody a free silicone cup. Most mm-hmm. people are not going to carry that cup. So no. I, in my opinion, it's a sham. I, I can't stand it. it. It, it's something that makes my blood boil because I believe that a lot of these race directors are only creating more waste. If they really looked at it, they're probably creating more waste 
just right. say, you know what? We're going to have these jugs on course. Bring your own hydration pack. That's yeah. It's crazy to me. Crazy that you don't push back on that because yeah. it's irresponsible of a runner to go out there, especially in ultras, and be like, hey, you know what? Where's my cups? Yeah. Where, where's, how can I not have something to drink from? It's like, carry a pack. You know, you could yeah. hurt yourself. You could, it's, it's just blows my mind. So, um, but yeah, so when it comes to road racing, you know, it's for anybody that's been to one, um, it is, it's a shame how much wet paper waste is, is going on out there when you could easily carry a very lightweight pack, carry right. 20 ounces, 30 ounces of fluid in it. It's not going to impact you. If anything, I think it'll help you because you can actually drink on your own strategy and drink your own fluids. Um, and then again, it's, you don't even have to be some super earth conservative person. You know, you can just look at it as what, what makes sense. It's, yeah. it's just stupid to waste. I don't know how many, I, I mean, I, and not that I haven't taken paper cups at races too, you know, especially before orange mud, I should say, but, but, um, I don't know. I, I bet I probably used in a marathon, you know, probably 10, 15 cups. I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's like everybody stops and grabs them off the aid station and then right. throws them there and, and, uh, and then gel trash and especially in triathlon, but marathon too, um, is terrible. And, and I think, you know, on that side, I just tell people just try a hydration mix. You don't need gels. You know, yeah. it's some people have that strategy and that's fine. You know, if you want to use gels, then that's okay. It's on you, you know, but, but there's other ways you can do things as far as buying a gel flask, buying a big bulk container, filling the gel flask, drinking from that as opposed to using the, mm -hmm. the disposable ones. But but I firmly believe in, in uh, just drinking a mix. And I, I think that there are so many options now. There's a great, there's a great chance you can find a mix that'll fit you uh, to right. fit anybody. Um, and, and, and again, you don't have to create any extra waste from it. So, so yeah, aside from, you know, being green, I think it just, it, it yields a better race day strategy to be able to drink from, uh, again, a, some sort of hydration pack, whether it's handheld right. bladder bottle or flask based. Um, and then like, why not, why not just do that right thing as opposed to creating a ton of waste? Yeah. And it removes that variable, right? Like, yeah. I mean, at the Houston marathon there, I don't know what they're, I don't remember what they were giving out, but there was some gel I got and it was one of them that they were handing out. And it was one of those things where I'm used to just grabbing them. And even though I had gels in my endurance pack, you know, the ones that I like, I grabbed mm. one. They said, oh, well, who cares? You know, and I opened it and it tasted like a cat threw up in my mouth. Yeah, those are And brutal. I was just like, it was too liquidy. I don't, it was just like, I didn't like anything about it. And I was like, and then I was thinking, why did I just eat that? Like, it's yeah. the same thing. It's like, why did I just do that? Like, I, you know. It, I, I just, it doesn't make any sense, but that's what we do, right? It's like yeah. a hard habit to break, uh, but having your own stuff really yeah. helps make that habit. Yeah. yeah so. and, and, and the hydration mix is seriously, they have come a long ways. I mean, I yeah. look back, if I look back to some of the hydration mixes that we've used over the years in racing, I mean, some have like rotted in between yeah. aid stations. You come in and I, I remember my buddy, Sean, he was drinking, uh, uh, it was just a, it was a one from back in the day. And, and when, when, when like I smelled it, like we left an aid station, which he had filled the bottle maybe four or five hours earlier and we'd set him up in this transition area. And, uh, and again, it was four or five, I don't know, maybe six hours and it wasn't cold. This was up in Yosemite. Right. And, um, and we came in off this big run section we grabbed our bikes and we take off. And I remember hearing Sean coughing and hacking and, and, and I smelled it. I'm like, what yeah. is that? Did you throw up? I'm like, I didn't, what was that? And he's like, Oh man, he's like my, my, drink mix soured and yeah. <laughs> it's the most atrocious thing ever. But, but again, that's all changed where there there's, 
as long as you're not buying and maybe even you know a walmart or something has decent stuff too as far as i know but yeah but as long as you're buying something decent i mean the the options are endless you know yeah. tailwind infinite precision um i mean my god goo osmo i mean there's a billion different options you know carbo right. pro makes a lot of really super inert stuff mm-hmm. um but you know i think a lot of people can find um options like that 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 really are going to be better for them. It's, yeah. it's hard to process them goos that are such a high concentration. I've had mm-hmm. them before and they've worked, but I've had them before and they made me puke. So it's, yeah. it's, and I think more people will have them where they puke, especially in Ironman. You see them like everybody, they'll tape like 10 of them. I love Ironman race day. You'll see people have like 10 gels taped to their top tube. I'm like, man, if you can have all those during six hours of bike ride or whatever it's going to take you, that will be, you're, you're like God's greatest gift. You truly are like, Hercules, I think, did you yeah. can do that, but uh, most never can. No, and even if you do, you might make it through the bike with that, but then as soon as you get on the run, man, yeah. like one or two more gels and you're done. You know? Exactly. And then you got, you know, what, 20 more miles to run. Yeah, so, if you're lucky. I right. literally stood up and all of a sudden realized my stomach was way more unhappy than I ever knew when you get off that bike. And, That's right. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, this is going to be a, a really long marathon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Orange Mud. Now, yeah. I know that, you know, Orange Mud has this fanatical group of users. And, and you know, for me personally, even though I know it's not really one of your flagship products, I have to say, like, I got one of the Orange Mud stretchy running shirts, yeah. and I couldn't believe how comfortable it was. I mean, and for, the, for most of the time that I've been training over the last, you know, 15 years doing these events, it's like I've either run in the tri-tanks that um, you can't buy anymore, so I still use the same ones I bought like 15 years ago um, mm-hmm. that I would race in, or I would run in some of the shirts that I got from a marathon or an Ironman or whatever, like finisher shirts. You know, they're technical shirts, but they're basically shirts that were given to me, you know, and yeah. it's kind of, it's interesting that like I would basically put so much thought and effort into picking all of my other equipment and then run you know, all my training runs and free equipment that people gave to me. Doesn't make any sense. So I got one of those sure. shirts and I've got several of them. I wear them now almost every time I run. Um, and in fact, I even stopped on the side of the trail after one of my first runs in one of your shirts and shot a video testimonial because I think that shirt is, it's unbelievably perfectly built for runners, at least for me. It's so comfortable yeah. and it works great. And, you know, and it doesn't surprise me now to know that you have something like I don't know, 337 brand ambassadors or something like that who support and promote orange mud hydration packs. And obviously that's just a testament to how awesome your packs are. But with all those people, you know, on your team, I mean, you must get a lot of interesting feedback about hydration issues and, you know, what really works to stay hydrated. You must get a lot of information about that from those brand ambassadors. I mean, I imagine they give you a lot of feedback. So what are the what are some of the unexpected lessons you learned about hydration from some of your orange mud ambassadors? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we get enormous amounts of feedback and we actually have over 600 ambassadors now. Wow. And, um, like yesterday I actually, I posted a poll. We have a private Facebook group that we use for that. And, um, I posted a poll just asking about what do you prefer? Do you prefer bladders? Do you, do you prefer to run with bladders and flask? Do you prefer to run with just flask? And, and, and it's, it was yesterday. It was most everybody was both, which oh, was really, really neat. Um, it uh, I didn't expect as much, but but yeah, I mean, we just have so many ultra runners, I guess, on our team that that maybe maybe skewed it up. I'm guessing, uh, right? Because I don't think most people need a 70 ounce bladder and flask, but but um, but yeah, it's it's never ending. I mean, our 
our uh, bottle base pack, our best pack two, I designed that over basically over a day. I mean, it took about 10 months, but, but all the core elements were designed over a day where I, mm. I posted to the ambassador team. This is going back five years ago. Uh, but I posted back to the ambassador team, what I thought was almost perfect. And then I got a lot of feedback that shifted a whole bunch of different elements in, in areas that I maybe I just hadn't thought of. Right. And, um, and over the course of a day, I did three different other posts of different prototypes that I kind of quickly modified and sewed together. And, um, and then we nailed down that day, the core focus of what that product has been one of our top products we've ever had. Oh, yeah. So, um, but then a lot of it comes down to fit. That's, that's the biggest thing, um, ever, you know, and we found, um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm like the average guy, five, 10, right. 175 pounds, uh, plus or minus five or 10 sub given the day. And, um, so I think, you know, designing things, I found that my body type is almost perfect for the average person. And, mm -hmm. and it seems that the dimensions that work well with me work with most guys and most females, but right. it's the outliers. It's the super pencil runner that have really pronounced collarbones, uh, that have zero lats. They are hard. To right. fit. And, and it's all of those people on our team that have really helped me to make them subtle tweaks. Right. And then really large chested ladies are also really challenging. And there are a lot of large chested ladies that run. Um, and same thing. I've taken all the feedback they've said and where I thought I made a tweak that made it perfect for them. Um, I actually made it too, too short in an, in an oh, angle yeah. for them. So, so there's been a lot of, of, of fit, more more than anything, the fit has been massive, and it's it's why I think we've narrowed down this this footprint now that we know the fits that work, yeah. and then we're so we just play with the overall geometries of the pack for features and stuff now. But we have a core fit that we really really stick to that that our ambassadors have been extremely um, uh, tied in with you know, the overall design, probably more than they really even know. Because uh, yeah. sometimes that's not what they tell me. Sometimes right. it's me watching. The pictures that they're posting online and seeing like that fit is not right <laughs> you oh, know, interesting. What, something's off I, I mean you can after a while it's it's uh like we get people all the time you know emailing like hey you know i run five days a week can i volunteer to help you i'm like oh yeah it'd be great but we have already an amazing team that mm -hmm. it, it gives us so much feedback that a picture alone at this point can tell a thousand words yeah. so um, and then we pull the team you know, quite often too. And we pull our own customer base as well. We don't do it too often, but once, twice a year, I'll send out a poll that says, uh, that, you know, ask about, you know, what's your favorite pack of ours? What would you like to see better? Would, right. What pack of ours do you hate? What would you like to see better? And, and every single time I get feedback, I put it in, I use Evernote and I have a whole design file in there that I constantly keep live. doesn't matter what device I'm on or where I am in the world. I can log in and, and anything that's a new uh, discovery to me, I put in there. And hmm. when I go to version two, three, four, whatever it is, I always go there to make sure I'm making those adjustments too. So, yeah. so yeah, we, we listen a lot, you know, we don't have a big team internally. So, you know, we, we really count on that external uh, feedback to help shape, um, all of our future products. Yeah. Well, I will say when I got the endurance pack, I was a little bit skeptical because I, um, tried on a bunch of packs. I tried a bunch of packs that were like made in multiple sizes, mm -hmm. right. You know, and I didn't like the way they fit and they were uncomfortable and they didn't have that much adjustment, you know, because yeah. they were supposed to fit me perfectly, I suppose, but I'm probably not the typical runner. Um, I mean, I'm six, two, uh, weigh about 185 pounds. I have bigger lats than I should just cause I used to rock climb a lot. 
And, you know, so I'm like 42 to 44 on a jacket, but I'm like 32 or 33 on the waist. And, and so, you know, those things just didn't fit me, but the, the pack, you know, the orange mud endurance pack is, it's crazy. If I fill up the bladder all the way, then I basically have to let the straps like completely to their end range of motion on the back and then, you know, relax the front a little bit. Um, but then when it's almost empty, if I just tighten up a slight bit, like, I mean, like literally that much, it's perfect again. Exactly. And that, and that amount of adjustment at that range for me is perfect. And so Mm -hmm. it's crazy, but it's, so this is not a joke. I mean, I've done lots of very, very long runs with it. I've done marathons with it. I've done 25 mile trail runs with it. Uh, and I've had zero chafing, none anywhere, yeah. which I, I was still like, you know, cause I've had so much chafing, you know, from Ironman races and um, where I would get it even from my tight, uh, my, my tank tops, you know, that I run in, I would get chafing just like under my arms on an Ironman race and during marathons. And so I thought, okay, well I'll wear this for a while. I'll do some long runs. Then I'll figure out where I have to put body glide or whatever. So I'm not getting a problem. Yeah. And I've had no yeah. problems, which yeah. it's amazing. So yeah, no, it's, it's been it's been fun. I mean, even on my side, I mean, I designed it, but but when I ran the uh, Hawk Hundred two years ago, you know, thirty, I I ran it on a broken foot, and it's actually how you, I met you, oh. and uh, just trying to figure out how to fix these four broken metatarsal issues. But um, but I I basically ran, walked it for thirty one and a half hours, and and uh, and when I when I came in at the finish line, I mean, again, I designed the pack, but even for me, I'm like. I have no hot spots, like yeah. zero hot spots on my right. body, um, you know, from, except for my feet, uh, which is a whole different issue. But, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was just flawless, but it comes down to it's stability. I mean, stability is the whole thing. Um, that's the number one premise we put behind all of our designs. And then, yeah, yeah like you were saying, we, we make it to where, um, you know, every pack is different. You know I mean? If, if, and, and I always tell people, you know, if you have a question on fit, email us sales at orangemud.com. Um, we'll help you to find the right fit because if you have a body type that's had a really hard time finding a pack that fits you, people with large lats, you're challenging. Version 1.0 endurance pack, it didn't work as well. I made yeah. tweaks for, for version 2.0 that fit people with really large lats. That mm-hmm. was, we find people like can, can bitch press cars. I'm like, yeah, you, you, you have a different set of challenges I have to work around. And again, large chested ladies too. Version 1.0 didn't work quite as well. Version 2.0, it was funny. I fit inversion going from 1.0 to 2.0. I made things that made it better for large chested ladies. Um, I made it better for uh, people with great big lats and I made it better for really petite runners. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't think all those things would line up, but right. they do. It's weird, but it's just part of these, again, feedback. You start, you know, you box in each one of these boxes. You're like, huh, I can actually fix all three for right. three totally different people. But, right. uh, uh, but yeah, you know, with, with our side, we, we use a balance of stretchy to firm materials to where it's not going to move. And then we don't put side pockets here under your armpits because right. it's kind of a weird place to put things anyway. Um, and it does give us more adjustability, which is mm-hmm. why, uh, we are able to have one size fits all on all but one of our packs, uh, right. which only has two on that one. Um, and it, and it fixes it for so many people. And then, you know, if you're, maybe a petite lady and you have a husband that can bench press a bus, then, you know, you both can still use the same pack yeah. uh, or vice versa. Right. Uh, you know, so, so we, we really tried to make sure for my own sanity inventory wise, you know, to be honest, I mean, it's my own sanity that I focus on that first. And then obviously, you know, I, I want to make sure that people buy a pack and they're not frustrated. They got a medium when they should have got a large or a medium that should have got a small, um, you know, you, you just make life easy. Why make it so complicated? Yeah. So, yeah, it's frustrating. 
industry does weird things. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So I've got another question for you, though. I so you know, I mean, obviously, I understand that it's important to stay hydrated, not just for athletic performance, but injury reduction. I really think lots of the people I see, lots of the runners I help, it's they get they really got injured not because they did something stupid, but because they did more than their body could handle when they were in this state of dehydration. And yeah. So one thing that I really truly I get confused about is why some or lots I would say lots of elite like truly elite ultra marathoners don't run with hydration packs I mean why is it that let's say an average runner you know somebody like me who likes to run long likes to do long events likes to do lots of races who likes to train a lot could not survive without a hydration pack on those long training runs and long trail races yet many of the truly elite top tier ultra marathoners and endurance athletes they'll run with just a handheld like why is that uh, they're just a whole different, a lot of it, they're a whole different breed. You know, yeah. they're, they're the gazelles and we're the box turtles, I guess is maybe the best analogy. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of us that, you know, we're going to take three, four or five hours between aid station in a big race, you know, and a lot of these other guys, they're going to be running and gals, they're going to be running hour two, mm-hmm. you know? So it's something that, that, that obviously is a huge game changer. If you're just faster, even if you're running a marathon, if you're knocking down a two thirty, two twenty marathon, you know, you, you need to fuel, but obviously like, just like most of us, they're putting out the same, a similar energy that we are. Right. They are just more efficient they, right. and they can knock it down. So you're running a hundred miler, you know, it's a whole different ball game though. I mean, you're, no matter what, you're going to be out there. If you're the fastest, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 hours, you know, obviously it depends on the race, but, but, um, but yeah, I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to body mechanics. Some of them are mm-hmm. just very efficient machines. Yeah, just simply better than we are when it comes yeah. to body mechanic efficiency, aerobic efficiency. Um, it's some of them are fascinating. And then some people do really well with the handheld. I mean, and, yeah. and that's, that's back of the pack to the front of the pack. Um, but I, I think that, that, you know, it's, it often comes down to, it's just not enough fluids. If we're yeah. slower, you yeah. know, you, you have to be fast to be able to be able to use a handheld in most cases. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be running dry and then your whole day is going to go really horribly wrong and <laughs> not yeah, so yeah. far into a race. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's kind of a mix of the gazelle versus the tortoise in this case. And, and, um, uh, and again, it's, it's what, you know, it's, it's, they're just fast. I mean, yeah. it's, it, that's, I think a lot of it comes down to that, but, but I always tell people, you know, yeah, if these guys are so amazing, they can wear a flannel shirt, a big beard, and 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 you know, run in a handheld, and look like they're effortlessly running. Um, that's amazing, but don't let that shape how you're going to run your race. You should always right. run your own race, and if you're not that fast, um, just don't do it. Put on the yeah, flannel yeah. shirt, grow a big beard. That's totally cool, but but just be safe. You know, there's 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 too many of these events that, that there's some big gaps out there. And if you're out there three or four hours and you don't have the proper, maybe clothing with you. I mean, that it's, it, it always blew my mind, especially in mountain bike racing. You know, these guys at the true front of the pack and big endurance races, you know, they finished before it gets hot. Right. It's just, I was always so jealous of these guys that would do that, you know, and, and, and Ironman, even for that matter, you know, the, the weather, all of a sudden it starts raining and it's freezing or it's raining and it's hot, you know, at night when you're out on your run, well, these guys, they finished during the day, you know, they're 
dry as a bone. Life is yep. good. They've been hanging out for six hours before some of us cross the finish line. In the, in the That's Ironman. right. So, so yeah, I really believe you need to look at what, what is my bandwidth? What am I capable of? Um, where I hate to even use capable. Where is my bandwidth is probably the better way to look at yeah. it. And, and if this is my range, this is what I need to carry 70 ounces of fluid. If I'm yeah. in that 70 ounce of fluid area. Um, but uh, I think that's most important for people to realize is that, you know, we're, we're not all the same. We are, we are very different with our needs. Yeah. Okay. So then, you know, coming back to those like normal human runners like us who are training for something like whether it's a half marathon, a marathon, a 50 K, whatever it is, what do you yeah. think are really the indications that somebody isn't taking in enough fluid on their long training runs? Like how can we as runners tell if we're really running dry, in our training runs because that accumulates I think as we get toward race day so mm -hmm. you know what should we be watching out for that might indicate that we really do need to up our fluid intake during those long runs yeah I think I think a lot of it's simply fatigue you know yeah. you, you just pay attention to your fatigue shows a lot obviously you can overtrain and there's a million other factors but but um but I've, I've noticed when when I've gone really dry in a race and and usually if I've ever not hydrated properly in a race it's because I ran out in a race yeah. area. It took longer than I thought, but, um, but man, I can feel it for another two, three, four days. It often takes to recovery from, yeah, from right. especially massive dehydration. Um, but, but yeah, so pay attention to your fatigue is one of them. Um, you know, when you finish, keep in mind, your body is still trying to, it's, it's processing all kinds of stuff. It's flushing things out. You still need to hydrate for a good, I mean, if you're doing these big two, three, four, five, six, seven hour training blocks, uh, or more, obviously, um, you need to keep hydrating, you know, as right. the day goes on, nothing crazy, just, just, you know, get a good 20 ounces, 24 ounces afterwards over the next hour or two, and maybe a decent bit in the afternoon or whatever. Um, but I think that's important to pay attention to. If you're cramping a lot, there's a good chance, obviously that you may not be having enough, um, mm -hmm. in, uh, enough fluid, but you obviously need to make sure you have electrolytes too. I mean, it's one thing to be hydrated, but it's another thing to make sure you're hydrating and and, and keeping your sodium balance in check. Right. And I, I think that's, as long as you tie those two, always keep those two together, that's the most important thing. Um, you'll, you'll probably be fine and it's not a complicated thing. But but yeah, uh, but yeah if you're cramping, if you're over fatigued, um, that's usually a decent sign that you're, you're uh, a little bit dehydrated. And the other side, if you're just extra stiff, you know, a lot of times I think it's just, you get a little extra fluid right. in your body and all of a sudden you feel like you're, a little more limber. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a lot of, if you just listen to your body, I think it'll tell, tell you everything. Yeah. Okay, great. So for, you know, for all of the runners out there who hear this and know they should probably not just like take off on a trail run and carry, you know, an eight ounce bottle of water or something, they really do need to stay hydrated and they're going to, you know, they're thinking about getting a hydration pack. Since you've designed all these packs for years, Maybe you can give us a little bit of advice on selecting a hydration pack. I mean, me personally, I, like I said, I love, I use the Orange Mud Endurance Pack, and I think it's awesome. It carries everything I need. I've had no issues with it, no chafing, no abrasion, no nothing. And if I remember right, that pack holds like two liters of water and additional yep. four liters of cargo, mm -hmm. um, you know, jackets, hats, gloves, whatever. And also on the Houston Marathon, I will say that basically I ran with that specifically because it was extremely cold. And there were a few of us running together and we were supposed to discard our uh, clothing to somebody and she didn't make it to the drop-off point. And then, so basically we had like nice stuff, not throwaway stuff, you know, 
So like several hundred dollars worth of nice running clothing that we were all peeling off. And I, of course, just stuffed it all in the pack and ran another 10 miles with it before I could hand it off. And I would not have been able to do that if I was not wearing the pack. So yeah, you know, like I said, I'm a believer, but, um, but I really want to know what, you know, what you would say. So, because like when I first went to buy a hydration pack, all I knew is I was going to need a pack. And honestly, beyond that, I had no clue what I was looking for initially. You know, I, I don't know. So, sure. uh, and again, this isn't like some sort of uh, affiliate pitch or something for Orange Mud. I didn't get the pack for free. I didn't even get a discount. I paid full price for it. Josh didn't give it to me. And it's been worth every single penny for sure. So, I know that that particular pack's one of your bigger packs and not everybody really needs two liters of fluid, right? So, yeah. you know, for those people, you know, I guess the, the, the most common thing would be people training for like a half, you know, trail race or a 50K mm -hmm. or something. Like, what do you suggest for people if they come to you and they say, hey, I'm thinking about getting a pack, but I really don't know what I want. What would you, what would you tell them? Yeah, so, so I usually kind of bracket things into um, – uh, just kind of a couple windows. So, so first off is look at how, how long is it going to be between hydration? So if you're going mm -hmm. to be max two hours, you know, like I said, 50 K's and marathons are kind of in that weird spot because a lot of your training isn't going to go over two and a half or three hours for most people. Okay. Um, and so in that note, you just have to look at how many ounces am I going to need for say two hours. And if, so if you're max training or your max distance, you feel you're going to go in training or racing, uh, is going to be two hours between the ability to reload. Then um, I always suggest going with our gear vest or our VP one or hydro quiver single barrel. You know, those are 24 to 35 ounces. And, mm -hmm. and that's going to get you in that one to two, two and a half hour range, you know, depending okay. on temperatures and everything. Um, but then if you want to do these longer three hours, if you're going to look at that kind of three hour bracket, if you want to go three, two, three, four hours uh, consistently, that's where the endurance pack is hard to beat because um, it's got 70 ounces on board, two liters, and, and that's a solid three hours for most people. You know, most people, I always tell people, most people are 20 ounces plus or minus four ounces. I mean, that's mm -hmm. pretty much the general rule with any body type, um, is, is that's how much you need to consume an hour. And, and I, I always would like to err to caution. So, you know, if you get our endurance pack, you've got 70 ounces in the back. So you've got a three plus hour range and you can always add soft flask up front if you need right. more. Um, the gear vest is kind of versatile too. It's a one liter, 35 ounce in the back. Um, so again, you're limited to basically a two hour window, but you can throw in soft flask up front to go to four liters. Um, right. so you can actually kick it up to where you get that three, eight plus hour range. So I think if you want a super versatile pack, the gear vest or endurance pack, um, is what you want to look at because again, 35 or 70 ounces, but again, scale up with soft flask if you need to, um, but if you're, if you're a, you know, half marathon, um, uh, distance, man, the Hydro River single barrel was 24 ounces of water. It doesn't weigh hardly anything. You can refill faster on courses on race day. It's amazing because it's a water bottle. You grab it out, right. fill it up and you go, you know, bottle well, like based your cell phone cool. and stuff too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Carry phone and everything else, electrolytes mm -hmm. and your nutrition cash and everything. And, yeah. um, Mace, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, if you're running in the weird time of day or a little dodgy neighborhood, or maybe just in general, you'll carry a can of mace, carry, carry something from a safety yeah. side too. Right. Um, and, and all of our packs have quick access pockets, whether on the shoulders or on the chest. And, uh, and I firmly believe in that. I mean, it's, it's uh, whether it's a mountain lion or a crack addict uh, or a barking dog, you know, it's all those things. You just yeah. don't know. 
um, is as crazy as it is uh, on a run, which you can encounter. So yeah. um, uh, I think most of us want to carry safety things and we don't, but, yeah. but I think, you know, there's just, there's too many bad examples that have happened all across the country over the yeah, years right. um, consistently, especially with runners and, yeah. you know, it's, it's just, you know, why not be safer? So, but, um, but yeah, you know, if you go on our website, you can look at running packs if you're a runner, biking packs if you're a biker, and we spell out all the details and kind of help you sort. Um, but we're, we're again, always, we're, we actually respond. If you send us an email, yeah. like a lot of companies will actually respond and, and say, okay, you know, if this is what you're doing, here's the packs that we'd suggest and, and why. Uh, right. And that, that helps. I think, I think we, we help a lot of people that way. And, right. and we, we firmly believe in, in trying to get the right solution for the right person. And, and I've told people sometimes like, Hey, you know, if that's all you run, just carry a water bottle. You know, if you're only going to run 20, 30 minutes, if you really don't want to pack, just carry a water bottle with you or right. you don't even need anything really for probably 30 minutes and probably a hundred percent of cases. But, um, but we were the first to try to, you know, not have people spend money if they don't have to, yeah, or right. at least spend as little as they can too. So, um, but yeah, pack selection, it's definitely, um, uh, also tied to body types, of course, as we talked about And right. You know, there's certain types that, that are just more problematic with certain designs, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think if you look at the endurance pack gear vest, those are pretty hard to beat. And then, uh, this hydrogripper single barrel is one of the most versatile fits that we've ever designed. I mean, if it's everybody, it's never not fit somebody, yeah. uh, unless you're maybe massive humpback on your neck and right. all these weird things actually have happened. So yeah, yeah. occasionally you find it where it shifts the bottle position and whatnot. But, but again, we, we always have a pack to fit somebody for, okay. for any distance. So this brings up a good point. So, I mean, I've done lots of marathons, Ironmans, all that. And in, an, I don't know, 10 days or something, I'm doing my first 50K. So I was supposed to do a 50K months ago and it got canceled because of all the fires in California. You know, the whole thing was like, you know, you couldn't see 10 feet because of the smoke. So they canceled the race. Yeah. But the truth is, is that I know how to do the training runs. Like I know if I'm going to run across the Golden Gate Bridge and head through the Marin Headlands, well, I'm running through the woods for three or four hours. There is no like refill station, right? So mm -hmm. I need a lot of fluid. Um, but I actually don't know what to expect. So I'm sure there are other people who've just signed up for races like a, you know, a half trail race. And the first half trail race I ever did, I was a little shocked how little water there was. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was surprised by it, honestly, because I'm used to like, you know, Ironman's marathons where like every mile on the Ironman, there's an aid station at, on the run mm -hmm. every single mile. And, you know, I mean, you're out in the woods and it's in a park, you know, national park or whatever, most of these races. So they can't really feasibly set up a station every mile. So mm -hmm. like, what is normal? Cause I don't, I really don't even know like what to expect on the 50 K in terms of like how, what's the usual interval? How far is it between aid stations on those kind of races, like a half or a marathon or a 50 K on a trail? Yeah, and I mean, pretty much when you go to trails, the general rule is a safe rule is generally one to two hours until you cross okay. in the hundred mile distance. Um, and in a hundred mile, there's a great chance. Cause honestly, some of us can be crazy slow. I mean, right. it, you think it, you can walk a 15 minute mile, but it'll blow your mind how hard it is yeah. to, to walk a 15 minute mile, yeah, right. um, late in a race where, I mean, you're jogging and you're running a 17 minute mile. So, yeah, right. um, so, you know, when you get into the bigger, that 50 mile plus, you pretty much have to factor two to four hours, uh, okay. because, it's it just, that's what it can be for a lot of people. Um, but I think, you know, you get in that half marathon distance, you know, you're probably looking at an hour is pretty mm -hmm. typical plus or minus 30 minutes. But I think if you look at one to two hours, when you go to dirt, that's pretty typical. And then I always tell people, 
you know, especially if you're, if you're doing a, a half marathon on a trail, um, why not just carry your fluid that you can be good all day on that? Yeah, right. Because I, I, it hasn't happened a lot, but it's happened to me plenty of times over the years where I've came into an aid station being so happy because I've been out of water for a while. Right. And they're like, Hey, I'm sorry. Four wheeler broke down trying to get it up here. Um, you know, these things happen. These are trail races. They're not a marathon where you can just drive right up to them a lot of times. And, and yeah. it's happened plenty of times where, uh, like I, I just, you know, I was about in tears once when I, I realized they were out of water and it was so hot. I'd been, I'd been watching people puking on the side of the road right. or in this, this single track trail and a mountain bike race once where, you know, we'd all been out of water for way too far. And then we get into the key place and the guy's like, dude, next hour, next water is like 15 miles ahead. And, yeah. and it, it broke me. I mean, it really yeah, did. Yeah. It was something that I was so parched. All I wanted was something to drink. Um, but these things happen. And, they do and, happen. You know, it, it, it happens in some of the best races too. And, you know, it's, it's, you, most people have to realize the race directors, they do all they can to make sure these races are put on efficiently and safe, but they're also, they can't help or they can't exist without volunteers. Right. And, you know, volunteers, I mean, they're not on the payroll. They're not always um, fully, like a lot of times, I mean, I volunteered quite a bit. And a lot of times you go into these races and, you know, you're kind of just left on your own to figure things out sometimes. Right. And again, that's where things go sideways. And yeah. I, I did a bike race last year where the water was, it, it ran dry. Well, it was non-existent in a, in a pretty critical area. Yeah. And it was a volunteer got, he just made a mistake as to where he thought he was supposed to be. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these type of things happen. And, and I, I believe it really is. I, I don't believe when you go to dirt, it's not, um, I think too many people go into it sometimes with that mentality of a marathon of, you know, you're here for me. I'm paying yeah. you. You need to get this right. You know, I, I, there's some truth to that, of course, but, but I, I believe that um, in, in the spirit of the grassroots side of things, which is often things on dirt, um, you know, you need to go in trying to do your part of making sure you're safe and you can, you can weather that storm of, of uh, maybe a dry aid station. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, when you cross in, especially that 50 K distance and up, I really believe you should be carrying probably, you know, 70 ounces of fluid uh, is, is probably the sweet spot to be yeah. safe in something like that. Yeah. I mean, it can happen, right? So I had one year at Ironman Cozumel and I had basically gotten my system so dialed. Like I knew exactly I was drinking everything and eating everything they gave out on the course. So I wouldn't have to carry it. Right. Mm -hmm. And Ironman Cozumel is a three loop bike course and it's hot. It's always very, very hot and very windy. And, you know, I'm doing great. I'm flying. I come through the second, you know, did the first loop, come on to the second loop in the first aid station. I go by and I started yelling, gel, gel, gel. And I heard no moss, no moss, no moss. And I was uh -huh. like, oh, whatever, you know, there's another one in 10 miles. Who cares? You know, uh, I get to the next aid station. I'm yelling gel, no moss, no moss. And I stopped. I'm like, what? <laughs> and they're like, no moss, no moss. And so I guess somebody, they basically took it out there days in advance with, you know, all these pallets of stuff. And I think somebody stole a lot. Of oh, it. no. <laughs> and so there was literally no more food on the bike course, right? None yeah. for two loops. So, I mean, it was like 60 or 70 miles of no food. And yeah. so talk about desperation, man. I realized, okay, now I, keep in mind, I had my system so dialed, I didn't even bother putting stuff in my special needs bag. Mm -hmm. so I had no backup again crucial mistake dumb thing to do but that's what I did because I was so used to having everything go right and 
man, so I realized like, okay, well, I figured, you know, people pick up their special needs bags, they'll probably drop stuff. So when I got to where the special needs station was, I slowed down and I found a banana that had been peeled and somebody dropped on the highway and I picked it up and ate it and it had like sand all over it. And then I found yeah. the same thing, a power bar that somebody had taken a bite out of and dropped it and I picked it up and I ate it and I was like, man, you know, it's desperate times when you're eating food off the road in Mexico. That's awesome. But I mean, that's yeah, just, it was a harsh lesson, man. I will tell you, it was, it was a, I have not forgotten that. So, you know, there is yeah. no way I'm going to run like, you know, on some 50 K or 50 mile trail race and expect that I'm going to be totally taken care of because yeah. on Ironman you pay a lot of money and they have a huge support group and things can happen. You yeah. know, I mean, it's not their fault. They didn't, they obviously had enough food to plan for. They didn't run out in the first loop of the bike race on purpose, yeah. you know, and exactly like you say, man, some ATV could break down. The Rangers could say, you guys can't drive that thing up the trail. Yep. You know, you never know. And you have to be prepared to cover yourself. I and mean, that's really it. And if you are, then the race can go well. And if you're not, then, you know, you could find yourself eating a banana off the trail or something. So, yeah. Well, and plus there's a lot of, a lot of the aid stations. I mean, I love all the volunteers. I love the races, um, goals with what they want to do fuel wise. Um, and, and I'm the biggest sucker for gummy bears and, you know, watermelon and all this stuff on course. But, but, you know, I always tell people, um, one of the, one of the best things you can stay away from is a lot of aid station food. I mean, a lot of times and and myself included, I, I blamed hydration mixes for why I puked in races before. Um, when I'm pretty sure that was not the case. It was probably the M&M's, the M&M's, yeah, the chocolate chip cookies, gummy bears. Watermelon is one of the, I I would say one of the clutch foods people eat in races, but think about what watermelon is. There's a lot of fiber. Well, fiber, but it's the sugars. You know, like where else, you go in, oh, watermelon's so amazing, it's hot, and this is great, it's cold, it tastes, you know, delicious. Well, you're basically consuming like a cup of sugar. You know, yeah, there's right. a reason why your, your body revolts like an hour later yeah. and they say, you know, you're puking on the side of the trail and like, Oh, my hydration mix sucks. I'm never drinking that again. Maybe it was the like 1200 grams of sugar you just consumed yeah, in watermelon. Right. So, you know, watermelon is, is really not a good food on race day for yeah. most people. So, you know, again, unless you train with it, um, don't use it. But I tell you over right. the last couple of years, I really have tried, I still firmly believe in my hydration mixes, but, um, but I do try to take more and more real food. So I, as weird as it sounds, um, you know, pay attention to what you crave. I crave yeah. bacon, blueberries. I oh, love yeah. guacamole. I had a buddy of mine eating guacamole or avocados and blueberry in a race a few years ago. And that's all he was doing that in water. And, wow. and, and he came in second in one of the hardest ultras I've ever seen in hundred mile distance. And, and I just was fascinated. So me being, you know, after living in Arizona and California for you know 19 years total, I, uh, I like guacamole. Yeah, and, right. uh, so I was like, well, why eat avocados when you could put salt in it? Boom, winning for sodium. Uh, and then I didn't go crazy heavy on like the cilantro and tomatoes like I normally do. But basically, right. avocado, a little bit of lime, a little, uh, little bit of salt, put it in a bag. It makes one of the best foods you can eat. And I have, I've never got sick of it eating it during a race. Pickles, guacamole, and blueberries, and bacon – all four of those things, they, they keep you jamming. 
pickles, I, 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 I know it sounds crazy, but like in the Hawk 100, that's all I ate were pickles and my hydration mix for 31 and a half hours. No issues, zero issues. And, and I firmly believe pickles, what's cool about pickles is they strip the sugars off your tongue. It's the acids. In the, oh, I, yeah. I don't know this scientifically, but this is like my theoretical, uh, is that it strips all that sugary gunk off your tongue to mm -hmm. where you continue to appreciate your hydration mix. If you drink enough hydration mix after a while, look at your tongue. It's stark white. Yeah, you know, right. your body is basically saying, way too much sugar yeah, but right. but yeah mix in some pickles and and i i've never known anybody to have an issue from that uh but then bacon again it just tastes good and especially in an ultra it's not like you're out there sprinting you know you're going yeah, easy right. man it's easy to mow down some bacon and then blueberries just make you feel fresh so i like i like to alternate you know bacon blueberries guacamole pickles uh and hydration cool. mix and and then again i don't hardly ever eat aid station food food anymore and and, and I like it because I don't, I don't like to puke. I don't think very many yeah. people do. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's almost, a, I've always kind of looked at it as basically a rite of passage in endurance racing. Like you're not trying hard enough unless you're puking. And then over the years I've realized, no, you're puking because you're eating the wrong crap. You know, you yeah, don't right. eat a friggin' half a watermelon in the middle of a three hour training, uh, three hours into a training run or training ride. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so it's just, there's all these different elements, but but, uh, but again, all the more reason to carry um, a hydration pack where you can carry the food that your body likes mm -hmm. and the fuel that your body likes. And then all you have to do is refill it once every two or three hours. And then another cool part, you know, people, especially the speedsters out there, they're like, hey, man, I'm real fast. I don't, I don't need to wear a pack. I'm like, okay, well, my buddy Alex did an 820 Ironman where at the Heide Quiver single barrel uh, that we have, it weighs nothing. He could run his own nutrition strategy. He could take electrolytes as he needed. He could quickly refill instantly. He could skip most of his aid stations and he won Ironman hits. Right. So there's, I didn't pay him to do it. He loves the pack and that's what he runs with. So you know, there's people that are at the absolute front of the pack that are using our gear, but yeah. there's also the same people at the absolute back of the pack that are using it. And, and I firmly believe, um, you know, they're not doing it just to be nice to me. You know, they're, they're, they're doing it because it's a way. Uh, and again, it's not, I'm not even saying you have to buy our packs You buy another brand's pack. I don't care, but, but use a pack in a race. I think you'll see just because there's water on course in the, every mile in a marathon doesn't mean you need to stop and drink every mile. Imagine yeah. in a marathon, if you don't stop every mile to drink, if you just stopped once to refill. Yeah. Right. Wouldn't that be a huge time savings? Yeah, you add up hit your lap button every time you stop in a, in a, to refill, um, and eat whatever junk is there and then get restarted. Um, it takes a lot of time off if yeah. you, if you are able to eliminate a lot of that. Totally. Man, this is awesome, Josh. Thanks for doing this. I mean, this was really helpful. It's really interesting. And, um, I mean, I've certainly learned a lot, so I'll let you know how it goes on the 50 K, but, um, yeah, It'll this has been it. great. Yeah, we'll see. I hope it doesn't crush me. That's the only thing, right? I know all the right. feeling. Yeah, right. So, all right. So for people, if they want to reach out to you, they got questions about packs, you know, pack yep. fit, you know, where's the best place to find you? Where, where should they go? Yeah, orangemud.com. Click on our contact page and uh, send us an email. Believe it or not, like I said, we will respond very quickly. All right. Okay, great. We'll put that link on the, on the show notes page for this episode. Um, all right. Well, thanks, Josh. So what's next for you? What's your next race? What are you doing? Land Run Double in uh, Oklahoma, March uh, 15th, 16th, I think it is. Oh, yeah, that's coming um, up. Yeah, it's coming up. So uh, I'm nervous. The weather here in Colorado has been frustrating this year. It's either cold and snowy and uh, with ice under it or it's muddy mess. It's like it's been hard to get outside, yeah. um, which frustrates me. But um, 
yeah, so my, my running is just who knows. I, I'm a little nervous. I'm doing this called the double. So it's 50K run on Friday. And it's a 100-mile gravel bike on Saturday. And uh, <laughs> the bike, you know, I, I've, I've cycled for so long that it, that doesn't scare me too much. Um, but it's a clay. It's basically an orange mud, literally, down there. Right. Uh, orange clay-based mud. And uh, it's just usually a muddy mess every yeah. year. Uh, I'm praying to God, like already I'm looking at the weather forecast. Uh, I wondered if wishing you were it went past 15 days uh, because yeah, I'm already looking at it like, Oh man, it's looking like rain for four days that week. So I, um, I'm looking every single morning and, and calculating my odds, but, um, but I'm really pumped on the bike. You know, I, I've logged a lot of trainer miles in the basement on Zwift and, yeah. and uh, so I feel good about that. And then on the run, you know, I'm out there, we've got 40 of our ambassadors coming in from around the country and, uh, even my cousin, he's never done. Uh, I don't think he's ever ran over a marathon, oh, wow. and um, and he's doing the double with me. And he's oh, definitely wow. never biked over. I don't know, fifty. I don't think. I don't even know if he's ever done a bike race, um, ever. And yeah, I, I couldn't believe that he actually signed up to do uh, the double with me. And I am so pumped about that. So you know, I it is nice because I can have a just justified reason to <laughs> hang back with people. Yeah, um, right. And uh, when you know it may just me that i'm just not that fast but yeah, right. uh but i'm looking forward this is truly it's a um i don't want to call it a jog because i hate the word but it's a easy run and or a fun run is a better way to look at it and and then a fun ride it's going to be fun so awesome um i can't wait it's going to be it's going to be an amazing event i've always wanted to do it and uh yeah it's going to be suffer though all right cool i'm going to pray for no rain um, oh, so yeah, man, let me know how it goes. Um, all right. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for doing this. We'll put all those, uh, links on there to orange mud. Um, and you know, that's it. So I'll, um, I'll also have a, a review that I'm going to do of the, um, the orange mud, uh, endurance pack after this 50 K talking about what I've you know been using it for and how I've been using it and all that as well. So we'll post that on there also. All right, Josh. Sweet hey, man. man. Thanks. And thanks for coming on. See you later. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And listen, if you enjoy this, I want to ask you to do a huge favor for me. Please share it with one of your friends. Send it to somebody who's a runner who you think can benefit from the podcast so that they can keep running as well without injury. And please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me. And then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.